Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging. Maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Well, met my wife back there, right on the other side of that wall. Uh, my boy was praying for the Holy Ghost, I think, about right here for the first time. And I took him back there. He got the Holy Ghost. I, my Uncle Steve said, about where you are, uh, Paul, tonight. And uh, when he finished his last few years of life, uh, in the, before he went on to be with the Lord, as he prayed through as a backslider, gave his life. I love my church. I, I owe a lot to my church. Turn to your neighbor and say, I love my church. Thank you for those kind words. You can be seated tonight. I love my pastor, Brother Carson. I know I've said this, and I've, I, I say it everywhere I go. People ask me, you know, how, how are things going? I guess, you know, they do ask that. I'm sure they ask a lot of people. But I said, well... Am I still there? And they said, yes. I said, well, then you know everything that you need to know. I love and respect Brother Carson. And I want to say this publicly. I thank you for sharing him with the movement. It's very hard to do that as a church. Uh, but it does. Uh, God calls people voices to certain seasons. And uh, Brother Carson is one of those voices. Our pastor is one of those voices. And you've always been gracious as a church to uh, share uh, your leadership, and I'm glad that uh, that's still the vision uh, that you have. Uh, selflessness. It's a Christian value. And so we share what we have with the body of Christ. I, I want to I go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, and I was tasked at dinner tonight uh, by my mother-in-law. <clears throat> and uh, she said, slow down. I, I want, I, you know, she was very complimentary, but I, I, can, I told her what I can only promise tonight. I will try. Uh, I am what I am by the grace of God. That was Popeye saved, I think. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When pastor asked me a few months ago to be a part of this, I was delighted immediately. He said, Brother Kilman, can you talk about Christian theism and philosophy from a worldview perspective? And I'll try to put that in everyday English. Um, what that means is, can you, can you show what, uh, as apostolics, as believing people that know that there is a God, and not just a God, but a personal God that's invested in life, can you talk about how to frame all of existence uh, through the lens of the Bible. Now, I think that's a doable task. Just probably not in one 45-minute session. Hallelujah. But I will try my best in 30 uh, to 35 minutes to give you an overview of something that I feel like will be helpful tonight. I, I want to lead off with this. Uh, I, I read that passage on purpose because uh, he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder. What does that mean? It means good questions deserve good answers. I don't believe as Christians we have to go through life uh, haphazardly or uh, to be candidly afraid of any uh, question that might come along uh, to challenge what we believe. 
How many of you believe the truth? If you believe the truth, then I love what pastor said. He pointed out that you should be ready to give a, a answer uh, to everyone that asks of you a reason of the hope that lies within you. And so I think good questions deserve good answers because faith has to be based on belief. Turn to your neighbor and say, not your feelings. Tell them, say, what you trust to be, believe to be true. That was, that was a choppy, wasn't it? Say, what you believe to be true. Now, is that a blind belief, Brother Lopez? I don't believe in that kind of stuff. I don't believe in, uh, uh, well, we'll talk about that. I, I, I'll, I'll try to stay focused tonight. You know, it's like hurting cats in my brain. Uh, if, I'm glad my wife's upstairs tonight. She's been like, hey, man. So let me just lead with this. I, I, I have uh, permission to share these stories. I had three students that uh, shared a little bit with me, and a couple of them uh, that graduated recently, phenomenal uh, students that have gone on, and they're already in the context of ministry, doing great things for God. And Brother Butler, they're representing uh, Indiana Bible College well, and I, I love them both. But uh, one of them uh, said to me, uh, Brother Kilman, I came to IBC uh, basically an agnostic, and, and they said to God, God, if you're real, I'm giving you one year to show me that you're real. And they stayed for four years and fell in love with things like science in the Bible and archaeology in the Bible and, and learning that you can defend the Bible is, in fact, the Word of God. And then, and then another student said to me, Brother Kilman, I had a, a, a significant uh, portion of my Time at IBC paid for, so when you would say something at IBC or any of the other teachers would say something at IBC, I would go back and I had the financial liberty. I spent four to six hours a day looking and digging into the answers to see if what you said was true. They did that because uh, without trying to get into too much information, I'm telling this with permission, but I don't want to give away too many details uh, it's because of a context of lies and manipulation that that young student had dealt with in their time before they got the Indiana Bible College. And he said, you helped me trust leadership again. So I, I, I just want to tell you that I think uh, you can come to a faith in God that's not based on lies and manipulation. If I, if I didn't believe that, I, I would not be apostolic. If I didn't believe, I couldn't look in that book and say, I can defend my belief, I would not be apostolic. And so I, I know I'm a, a little radical with that. So let me give you kind of the opening. Is I, I want to say that we cannot afford to be a great church for the 1940s can't be time warped in a philosophy, Brother Fridley, where uh, we're not answering the biggest questions that students, that uh, young people, that uh, teenagers, that, that adults, that, uh, that uh, more seasoned adults are, are dealing with every day in the culture. And I think uh, we can answer uh, all of life. Let, let me show you what I mean by that. What do we mean by Christian theism? Theism is, of course, the belief in God. It comes from the Greek word theos, the Greek word for God. What is Christian theism? I think the best illustration I've ever heard for Christian theism was something like this. Brother Fridley, let's, let's say he said you were, you were at home and you're, you're digging around cleaning up the attic, and what you find is a book. You find a book like this, uh, the pages are gone. But there's something you can tell, you know, it has a title, Strangers in a Strange Land. It has an author's name, and there's, you can see where even on the pages that are torn, there's something missing, and there's 
syntax there. There's little letters and words and portions of words, and you know it's supposed to communicate something, but you don't have enough. Now, that, that's what I'm going to call tonight. That's creation. That's God making the world and putting you in existence. But you ready? Even if you're a alive human being, that's not enough to find everything you need to know about God. But there is enough there to point you to more. We're going to go to Romans chapter 1 in just a moment, and I'll show you how that would work. But on top of that, Pop, what's fascinating is, like as you begin to, maybe Brother Fridley's digging around, he finds a sheaf of papers, and he thinks, and he begins to look at the sheaf of papers, and he says, you know what, I think those sheaf of papers, if I put them against this, it matches, and then all of a sudden, the whole becomes complete. That's the Word of God. When you begin to look at life and try to find meaning, when you begin to look at all of the issues of life, and, and uh, it's like one atheist said, the problem for me, Brother Lopez, as he says, is not that life doesn't make sense, it's that it almost makes sense. It almost makes sense. We're beautiful, we're created with purpose, we feel teleology, the study of purpose, we feel that in our being, but we don't know how to make sense of that because I have this other thing inside of me that the world is beautiful, but it's broken. It's kind of like Genesis 3. So only the Christian worldview can explain all of existence. And the more you begin to read and understand what God says about all of reality, all of a sudden all of reality begins to make sense. That's Christian theism. We believe that God has spoken to us and we believe in the interconnectedness of, of God's word and God's world. Turn to your neighbor and say, you don't have to be ignorant. I can get away with that in the Midwest. I, I, I'll just remind you of what Pastor pointed out uh, last week, that everyone has a worldview, everyone. Whether consciously or unconsciously, everyone has a worldview. Christians begin with God's word and God's world. Now, what does that mean, Brother Kilman? We believe that we can relate these two things through ideas, through the revelation, Brother Butler, of Scripture. When I begin to dig into what the Bible describes about aspects of sociology, like, um, and, and, and we don't have time to deal with all of these in details, but I'll use some examples tonight. Like the number one common denominator of men in prison is what? Fatherless homes. It's like when you start messing with the book of Genesis, what happens is, is you deviate from God's plan. And if you ignore the laws of nature, you do that to your peril. I, I was uh, privileged to be up in Minnesota, had a great time preaching youth camp and had some friends put us on Lake Superior. Uh, Brother John, it was amazing. Lake Superior is uh, just as beautiful as Pismo Beach in California. It's gorgeous. Now there's way more bugs. All due respect to my Minnesota friends. <laughs> There's uh, black flies and bugs, you know, but, but I'm telling you, Brother Butler, it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. And we're up there. And I remember being on Lake Superior, and I'm out there, and right out the back of the little cabin we're staying in, there's Lake Superior. It was gorgeous. And, and then day three, a storm blew in. And, and if I got my, if I, I understood what was said to me right, Lake Superior is the most dangerous body of water in North America. As a matter of fact, there was a massive storm there in which uh, some men were shipwrecked and, and they put a uh, lighthouse at Split Rock to make sure that people wouldn't run into this certain particular dangerous area. They could see the men on the reef, but they could not reach them with any type of technology because the winds were too strong and the current was too strong. You can see the victims, but you cannot save them. Why? Because they did not respect the laws of nature. 
When you begin to try to redefine things and come up with your own ideas and put your family in the context of somebody else's understanding, devoid of the revelation of God, you're going to get into dangerous areas. But you ready? If you will just submit yourself to the Word of God and the will of God, what you're going to find is I have more understanding. I can avoid danger. Why? Because God's Word matches God's world. That's incredibly freeing, Brother Massengale, because I don't have to know everything about everything. I'll give you a quote by one of my favorite thinkers, G.K. Chesterton. He said something like this, how much larger your life would be if yourself could become smaller in it? Now, what does that mean? Christian theism says something like this, uh, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, that when I understand that there is a creator who's made the world and he's given me revelation, then I can begin to cooperate with that revelation and free my life uh, Brother Richard, to the greatest level of freedom possible. All right, so uh, what does that look like, Brother Kilman? I'll give you a contrast. We believe, the, uh, the premise is that Scripture and creation agree, and we can show that, and I'll, I'll try to do that to, tonight. But I won't say this much. I'll add this much. Any worldview that's going to try to make sense of life has to make sense of all of life. People cheat. Uh, Paul, what they try to do is they start with a good answer in one area, but they lack good answers in other areas. So let's say they can have maybe a clever argument about cosmology, uh, what, what is existence, the created world, the cosmos. So maybe you got an evolutionary theory, and that sounds very attractive because not only can you say there is no God that created the world, then there's no God that bosses me around in my morality. But the problem is, is when you have that clever uh, answer uh, uh, in cosmology, you got to deal with ethics. And what does that mean? Is uh, you got an answer there? But how about what Hitler did in Germany? Is that okay? No, it's not okay. And, and you, you, to uh, be candid, to quote uh, one, uh, another guy, he says it this way, Jay Budaszewski, you can't cut yourself and not bleed. So we can't cut ourselves morally and not bleed. Why? Because there are laws of nature and they are revealed. All right, let me see if I can, I can uh, zero in. Paul says it this way in Colossians 2, 8, and 9. Beware lest any man spoil you, take you as spoils of war through philosophy, oh, see, Brother Kilman, you're talking about Christian philosophy. No, 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 he didn't stop there. And vain deceit, empty deception after the tradition of men. So you can't have man's philosophy. Why? Because man is limited. Uh, and and I'll, I'll not get too uh, stuck there. But uh, the problem with limited man is that they're limited. And even with the best of intention, let's just say you have a great idea that you think would work. The problem is you're limited. You need somebody higher than yourself. And I'm going to quote Chesterton again. Your world could become much bigger if you were much smaller in it. When I begin to understand that there is a God who wants to bless my life. That when I begin to submit my life to his direction, I need to come in here and I need to say, Pastor, I want you to preach strong to me about what a man should be, about what a woman should be, what my family should look like. Why? Because I want to operate in world, in the world with revelation about how my life can be blessed. And that comes uh, by the cooperation uh, with God's uh, word. Right, so uh, I can say it another way. That means theology is sociology. Theology is psychology. And I was like, wow, Brother Kevin, you're throwing out these secular terms. I, I understand the arguments behind that. But what is psychology? It just comes from two Greek words. It's suke logos. Suke means soul, logos, word, study of. And it just means a word for the soul. Who has a better word for the soul than the Bible? 
I wish we had time to go into uh, uh, the Old Testament and talk about the lament psalms, but I'll leave that alone. And the same is true of philosophy. God's not against us thinking about all of life because phileo Sophia is Sophia's wisdom, phileo, a word. It's a love of wisdom. How many of you love wisdom? See, that's what we're after. When we say Christian philosophy, we're talking about not just the study of everything that is. We're talking about how to love wisdom from God's direction. That's why it's got to be Christian philosophy and not the philosophy of men. All right, now I'll, I'll, I'll uh, hasten. All right, so now that means something like this. First of all, uh, every worldview, like I said, has to be tested against all of life. When they artificially begin to just answer life from one aspect, Brother Fridley, they, they create their own idolatry, and every idolatry is a reduction. Now, that's a, a handy little theological statement that I'm going to prove from Scripture, Pastor. I appreciate your comments that you uh, made up in the uh, uh, team meeting. So uh, let me show you what that lo would look like practically first. Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter to Roger Whitman. He was invited to the celebration of the, uh, the Union, the creation of the United States. He couldn't make it, but he wrote a wonderful letter to him uh, in the eaves of his life. And he made this powerful little statement that we just take for granted in America. Uh, Scotty said it this way, the mass of mankind has not been born with saddles on their back. He says, nor a favored few booted and spurred ready to ride them legitimately by the grace of God. What was he saying? He's saying there is not this blue blood that is some aristocracy that's not elected by the will of the people that has the divine right to rule over another people. No, we're all created equal. Why? Because we're created in the image of God. That's why we have certain unalienable rights. That's all Christian theism. You, okay, I'll, pro I'll prove it to you another way. Uh, hmm. This is risky, Pastor, forgive me. This is Kilman, K-I-L-L-M-O-N. Please don't, this is Kilman. Uh, you couldn't even have a good murder mystery without the Christian worldview. Brother Lopez, that's kind of weird, huh? Why? Because if it was a murder mystery uh, in another context, it would just be killing people. Because we believe in the sanctity of life. We believe that you don't have the right to murder someone else, which means to take a life unlawfully. Why? Because you have innate value. And the government didn't give that to you. The government can only recognize that. That is the Christian worldview. You couldn't even have certain forms of art as we understand them now. Murder mysteries are intriguing. Why? Because innately what our design is resonates with creation. You just can't kill people, bro. Turn to your neighbor and say, thank God. But contrast that with Christopher Hitchin, the late, uh, in my view, greatest of the atheists of contemporary times. Uh, Brother Massengale, he said uh, in a Q&A, I'm not sure we have unalienable rights. Honest. Terrifying. Now, what does that mean? You have two views there, two worldviews that view humanity and power and government and human dignity very differently. Now, the problem is, is you can't live with that worldview. And if you can't live with that worldview, you are showing that your worldview is smaller than existence. It can't explain everything. Now, now let's go quickly to the scripture. We'll go to Romans chapter one, and I'm gonna, John, you watching me? Thank you, sir. How do you test the worldview? Like Christian theism against other uh, worldviews. 
How do you test a worldview, a philosophy of all of life, even ours? And how do we reach others when we begin to look uh, at those things? Maybe we could even add, what is God doing in the process of our worldview seeking? The Apostle Paul lays it out in Romans chapter 1 very beautifully. He says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, an unloving God would stay silent. But God loves you too much not to speak. How many of you have ever been corrected before? Thank God. You're going to run out in the street. Dad, snatch me up. Boy, you don't run out in the street. Why? Because what I will do is I'm going to get my little body crumpled. And what I know at a very limited level, Brother Butler, he knew at a higher level. Because he loved me and he's a father. Are you chasing those that you? That's what the scripture says God does for us. Thank the Lord. He says, who does he chasten? Uh, The wrath of God is revealed against those who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because they which, uh, for that which might be known of God is manifest where? In them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without an excuse. Uh, skip, Skip down to verse 24. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. Now, why would God... Give people up to uncleanness. Now, we're going to look at that because what Scripture is going to show us is how God helps people with the wrong worldview to get into the right one. All right, let's look at it real fast. Scripture declares, first of all, everybody at all times in all places has access to the revelation of God. Why? How do they do that, Brother Kilman? From the created order, the physical world, creation, and humanity itself, which is also creation. They have the witness, Brother Carmichael, of the world around them, but they also have the witness of being created in the image of God within them. Okay, I'll show you what that looks like. All right, so question number one tonight. How, they're like, oh no, that was all introduction? <laughs> Hallelujah. John's got the clock. Number one, how does physical nature witness to God? Paul lays it out two ways. First of all, general revelation. It means the physical world, things like intelligent design. And I'll not spend a lot of time here. I, I will maybe point some resources to you that some of you nerds in the room like me uh, who are interested in that type of thing. The origin of life. There's one thing. It's fascinating to me uh, that the admissions in the culture, Scott, right now, right? So uh, the thing that's called the fine-tuning of the universe, uh, that depending on who you read, 40-some or 100-some constants had to coalesce at the same time for complex life to exist. Complex life. What's that, Brother Kilman? Uh, that's humans. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. Tell them, say, I knew you were complex. <laughs> complex life. Right? So 40, that's like winning the lottery with 40-some uh, or 100-some numbers. The fact that the, the tectonic plates shift to uh, let heat out of the Earth's core. The fact that the tilt of the Earth is at a certain degree. The fact that we have a large moon and we have an oxygen-rich atmosphere that filters out the harmful rays and lets in the good rays. All of that, 40-some to 100-some. That's like winning the lottery of 40-some or 100-some. It's called the fine-tuning of the universe. That has led atheists uh, like Frost, who was a committed atheist for massive amount of time. Sister Di, he says... 
When you look at that, the fine tuning of the universe, you have to embrace intelligent design. And after 20 years of published atheism, he converted to intelligent design. All right, but I'll, I'll give you one more. My wife's not here, so I can take the risk of getting this wrong. She's the math teacher. I'll give you one thing to wrap, maybe wrap your brain around with that. If the strength of gravity was smaller or lesser than one part and 10 to the 60th power, that's a one with 60 zeros. If one part in 10 was off that much, which she could do the decimal and run back, I, Sister Goddard probably could too. All I'm saying is it's a massive amount uh, 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 of numbers in terms of degrees of littleness. That's a terrible way to phrase that. She had a better statement. I should have brought her down here. But if we had just that bit of variability, uh, uh, Robin Collins, who's got a great little work called The Fine-Tuning of the Universe, shows that not only is the planet in trouble, the universe would be uninhabitable. There is no evolutionary uh, reason for that. It looks like intelligent design, so much so that now Richard Dawkins is saying things like this, aliens did it. <laughs> so I'll point you, if you like uh, research, look up a documentary on Google videos if you're into that kind of thing. Forgive me, this is Kilman. Uh, Privileged Planet. Or uh, the fact that when you begin to talk about Brother Butler, like on college campuses and especially at the PhD level, when you begin to study science that uh, Ben Stein's got a great documentary called Expelled where they can't answer intelligent design arguments. So what they do is they're canceling them. This was way before any cancel culture. This has been happening for years now. Uh, they want no conversation. You're just expelled from the university, even if you have tenure. All right, now why bring it up, Brother Kilman? Because that's only one aspect of the origin of life. The second aspect of the origin of life is genetic information. This is the DNA code. Now, I know, turn to your neighbor and say, this is a weird Bible study. <laughs> Thank you, brother. What you need is not only the physical, you need information. So let's just say you could believe that I could take a bit of plastic, uh, some copper, and uh, other bits of uh, physical material. I put them in a bag, maybe heat it up, shake it up, throw a piece of dynamite in there, big bang it. You're not going to produce an iPad. <laughs> Just a thought. And by the way, that explains why all of the experiments of origin of life, including the Cambrian uh, explosion, has failed to produce life. Why? Because not only do you need matter, you need information. And the DNA code is like information. Not only do you need to get the iPad, you need programming on the iPad to work. And the DNA code is like a revolution of, of how God has witnessed to, uh, nature is bearing witness to modern man that at the end of the day, you have to understand not only is the physical world complex, it's all designed by minutia called DNA. And, and when you see information, that means informer. And uh, again, uh, uh, the blind watchmaker, all due respect to uh, Richard Dawkins, fails uh, to talk about that. That's a programmer. I'll, I'll give you uh, the last part of that. The second part of general revelation is more than creation, Paul means us. That things like beauty and the complexity of creation, yes, but also human beings that God has revealed to everyone. We repress knowledge of God, and you can see this happen. I'll give you an example. Uh, Brother Kilman, you would say, if knowledge 
of God impinges on all people from creation, why don't people acknowledge God? You ever wondered that? If what you're saying, if what Paul says in Romans is true, they really do know already, uh, then how is it that people don't acknowledge God? Well, here's what the Bible teaches. People suppress knowledge of God. They hold it in unrighteousness. The Greek word there uh, is in the present active, and it means to continually hold down. They hold down knowledge of God. And within, contextually, if you look at the passage, they're holding that knowledge inside of them down. Okay, so it's not just hold back, it's hold down, repression, what the psychologists recognize today as repressed knowledge. And they hold it down, they hold it in, and Paul says it this way in Romans 1.18, who hold the truth in unrighteousness, uh, because that which may be known of God is manifest where? Even on the inside of you, you can't live without meaning and purpose. Romans 1.21 says, because when they knew God, Romans 1.28 says, and as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. All right now, what does that mean? Point number two. Since we do have true knowledge of God, how do we hold it down? How do we repress it? What is the means? How, what's the way that Paul, does anybody know? What's the way Paul lays out in Romans 1, how people get around the knowledge of God? Sin? Yeah, how's it concrete? What's the excuse? Don't your neighbor say idolatry? All right, let's look at it. I'll point you to the text. Romans 1.23, and change the glory of God, or the glory of the uncorruptible God, into an image made like to what? Corruptible man, and birds, and all sorts of other things. Romans 1.23, they changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and served what? The creature more than the creator. So uh, what, what does that look like, Brother Kilman? Examples of idolatry. They don't have to just be like physical idols made of silver, gold, or uh, something like that. It can be matter. So for instance, some people postulate matter in the place of God, like atheism, materialism. The only uncaused cause is uh, the universe. Now the problem with that is now we know the second law of thermodynamics shuts all of that down. Everything winds down. If I roll a ball across the uh, floor tonight, it's going to wind down, right? Well, we can see that the universe is dying a cold death. We know that we can observe the rate at which stars are burning out, and if they were just a few uh, uh, tens of thousands of years old, they would already be burned out. Well, well I was just here to get into all of that. <clears throat> what we can say is what Stephen Hawking says, yeah? Yeah, it looks like we can't argue the eternal universe anymore. Okay, all due respect to Carl Sagan, all the universe is all there was, all there is, all there ever will be. Oh, that's your God. Right, or, or reason. That you can reduce God uh, to something like human reason alone. That all there is to ultimately explain all of life is rationalism. Or maybe what's empirically knowable. That you're going to do surveys about everything. And the only knowledge is what we can know from science. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem with idolatry is idolaters are trapped in what psychology calls cognitive dissonance. Now, what does that mean? They're aware of knowledge of God, yet they suppress knowledge of God through idolatry. What's the result? They end up with contradictory views. 
So what does God do when somebody's trying to uh, repress knowledge of God, Brother Butler, because they don't want to answer to a God who dictates certain things for their life? By the way, the best life possible. But if I want to sin, what do I do? I repress that knowledge of God and I come up with an idolatry and I end up hurting myself and everyone in my life that buys into that idolatry. So what does God do in his love? His loving decision is simple and we miss this if we're not careful. For free will agents, he gives them, he gives them a pig pen moment like the prodigal son. He turns them over to sin so that they can learn, I didn't intend for my life to go this far. Uh, how many of you maybe walked away a little bit like I did for about a year and a half from the Lord? I walked away from the Lord to my shame. But you wake up at some nights and you realize I did not, I knew I wanted to dabble in sin, Brother Barkus, but I didn't want my life to get that far. And that shame and that realization that sin always takes us further than we want to go, that pig pen moment is like, this is wrong. And the servants, I'm not even, I'm a son and I deserve more, but even the servants in my daddy's house has better marriages. They have better families. They have more contentment at life when they lay, lay their head on their pillow at night. And so what God does is ratchets up the tension and he turns them over to idolatry and the consequences, uh, 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 the result is man's inhumanity to man. And I'll show you what that looks like. There was a, uh, you've probably heard me tell the story of the atheist on the circle that the wonderful IBC students were trying to reach and they were, they were doing their best. Come down, we're gonna pray for you and you're gonna feel God. And no, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. So you got to start with that first. So what you have to do is press him. Uh, what I did, Brother Lopez, is press him for the consistency of his own worldview. You're an atheist, yeah. Evolutionary, yeah. Truth, tooth and uh, claw, humanity has climbed up out of all of this primordial ooze by killing the weak and the survival of the fittest, yeah. I said, so what you and I need to do, we don't need to be mean about it. We just need to go get a gun and uh, we can go out and find all the kids with cerebral palsy and we'll make it real quick, just a bullet right, right to the back of the head. And wouldn't we be helping the human race? And he said, yes. But no, that's terrible. I said, now here's your problem. See, here's his problem. His idolatry, his atheism cannot make sense of all of life. Because Brother Marcus, he can't live with uh, doing something unconscionable. Why? Because he's created with conscience. And, and God loves us enough to build into the fabric of our being a corrective that let, the, you ready? I'm not gonna let you sleep well at night. Why? Because you're wrecking your little family and you're wrecking your marriage and you're headed down a bad path. And I love you too much to let you go down that road of destruction. So he lovingly chastens us with our own conscience and pulls us back to where blessing actually is. That's why Romans 1.21, the, the second half of that verse reads, but they became vain in their imagine, imaginations, empty, and their foolish heart was darkened. So the question that Paul is addressing is, why does man's idolatry lead to destruction and destructive behaviors? It's because idols always lower the purpose of human beings to something other than God intended. You're made in the image of God, a transcendent, personal God that wants a relationship with you. And to, when you lose that value of God, you lose the value and recast humanity in the image of an idol. So a materialist will say, well, you're just a complex biological machine. No spirit, no mind, no consciousness, no soul. And say, well, then, okay, if that's true, can, is that livable? 
It's like one MIT professor uh, said it this way. Uh, he said, uh, I'm going to try to hurt. How many minutes do I have left, John? I hear <laughs> One MIT professor said it this way. He said, now we are only complex biological machines. He said, but when I look at my children, I can, if I force myself, see that they're only machines. Robbie, but he goes on to say, that's not how I treat them, though. They have my unconditional love. And what's his answer? I maintain two sets of inconsistent beliefs. Uh, Galen uh, Stalson, a philosopher, said that this way, well, if we're just complex Animals. There really is no such thing as free will. You only think you have free will. There are things in your body that make you act certain way for the propagation of the species. And he says it this way, the impossibility of free will can be proved with complete certainty. Why would he argue something so foolish? Because he doesn't want to be responsible for his free will choices. Because he would not retain God in his knowledge. His foolish heart is darkened. His heart, his mind, of course, but his heart is darkened. Uh, what, what does that mean, Brother Kilman? In an interview later, he goes on to say, well, to be honest, I can't really accept it myself. I can't really live with this fact day to day. Can you really? And to what I would say is, that's the science of cheating, bro. It's what one, one author has called the psychology of suppression. There was a Harvard professor in a de- uh, that was attended a debate by a Christian apologist, and he walked up to uh, Nancy Piercy, visibly upset, and said to her, uh, they know that their theories don't explain ordinary life outside the lab, but why throw it in their faces? Because somebody ought to try to win them. Somebody ought to press them for the consistency of their worldview so they see the bankruptcy of it and then you already understand that they are without excuse. And that moment of tension becomes the moment of conversion. So what are you saying tonight, Brother Kilman? I'm saying Christian theism, a philosophy of life, saying there is a structure to reality. It is disclosed, it is determined, and you won't get around it. There are, there are natural laws, there are moral laws, and you can cooperate with them. Right. Now, I'll give you another example tonight as I'm wrapping up for a close. Sin holds the seed of its own destruction. That's why God prescribes against it. I'm going to say it again. He loves you too much to allow you to go through life without a witness on the inside and a witness from his word. That's why you got to pray every time there's a preacher up here, a teacher somewhere that's got your kids. Lord, help them to preach and teach the truth in such a way that the truth grips their life. Why? Because apart from God's active judgment, anybody ever got a spanking from God? My mom and dad, well, Lee, you didn't spank it. Mom's watching tonight. I love you, mama. Um, But there are consequences, even in nature. Proverbs 14, 14 says it this way. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Jeremiah 2, 19, the prophet writes by the Spirit of God, thine own wickedness shall correct thee. Anybody ever got like my brother Jim? I'm going to tell on him tonight. Scotty was backslidden for 17 years. He was sitting in a bar right before he made his final. God was always pulling on him. Aren't you glad for the mercy of God? Pulling on him and pulling on him. Uh, he, was in a, he was in a bar, uh, a terrible place uh, in Indianapolis. And, 
and he watched two, two guys get in a fight and just uh, about one of them almost beat the other guy to death, literally. And he, he was just sitting there, Brother Butler, thinking, this is, not, this is not what I want. Thine own wickedness shall correct thee. You get to the end of that thing and you're like, this is not satisfying my heart. I'm dealing only with more shame, more guilt, more discontent. I got to get more drunk the next time. Deal with the shame, the condemnation. He, he, Jeremiah says, thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Proverbs 5.22 says, his own iniquities, not God, our actions, his own iniquities shall take the wicked himself. He shall be holden with the cords of his sins. God loves you too much to let you be bound. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, if you do that, that shall he. Yeah. So uh, let, me, what do you, what do you say? let me wrap up tonight. In conclusion, I think this is what we need to think about when we're thinking about Christian worldview. And we could talk about many a- applications. The fact that sociologically, like if you just, Sister Lopez, if we just went into that one category, we could, we could exhaust an hour tonight talking about that the only way that we had the anti-slavery movement in modern history was through the Christian worldview. We could talk about people like heroes of mine, historical heroes of mine like William Wilberforce, uh, who absolutely, Brother Barkus, out of his worldview from the Bible, said there's some things we can't do. You need to, you maybe, if you're into that type of thing, owe it to yourself to go read the Lincoln-Douglas debates where Abraham Lincoln argues against slavery based on natural law and that we're created in the image of God. We don't have time to deal with that uh, tonight. But I'm telling you, the same, Pop, the same sociological problems we're facing today is the sin issue. It's still disclosed, and so is the cure. Stand with me tonight, and I'll, I'll try to hurry. So what what does that mean when we understand what a Christian worldview is, Brother Kilman? That first of all, we can defend our faith in the public marketplace of ideas. That letting our friends know, how many of you love people? Letting our friends know, letting our families know in a careful way, in a kind way, that ignoring God's laws or ignorance, even well-meaning ignorance of God's laws and the laws of nature Uh, is going to end in problems because to misdefine the real issues in your life is to misprescribe cures. And there are good people with all, and forgive me tonight, I'll be really vulnerable. I think a lot of the things that we see as detrimental in the world should actually give us hope because there's a lot of people that really want to help other people, but they don't have revelation guiding their efforts. And if you misdefine problems, selfishness, it's sin. Then you misprescribe cures and that's where we get all of the social acts in our day where people are trying to do good things. You shouldn't see that as a negative. You should see that as an opportunity because people really do want to make a difference. The second thing it should do is embolden you to thrive. We can teach our people that the fear of the Lord, Paul is the beginning of wisdom. I can raise my boy in a way to let him know that if he just learns to fear God and obey God, his life, his future, his family will be blessed. We can evangelize in our new climate. And I'll close with this. Isaiah 45, 9 through 17. I love passages like this, Brother Lopez. It helps me think I can be saved. (laughs) Because Isaiah was pretty snarky. And he was inspired by God to be snarky. So there's hope for me yet. Hallelujah. 
Isaiah 44, 9 through 12. Uh, Isaiah says something like this, Brother Fridley. Agreement with God is powerful because there is a God who can back up his word. The problem with idolatry is you have to create it. You have to prop it up and they're not going to help you. He says, they, they have made a graven image and all of them are vanity. They're empty. And they, uh, their delectable things shall not profit. And they are their own witnesses. They see not nor uh, know uh, that they may be ashamed. Who had formed a God or a molten or a graven image that is profitable for nothing? He says, behold, all of his fellows shall be ashamed and the workmen, they are of men. I'll skip down to the last verse, uh, uh, part of chapter 12. The smith with the tongs both worketh in the coals and fashion it with the hammers and worketh it with the strength of his arms. Terrible if you have to make your own God. Yea, he is hungry and his strength faileth. He drinketh the water in his face. He's about to pass out making his God. I, I read the Old Testament and it's like they're carrying their gods into battle and they lose and their gods are carried off in battle. It's kind of sad if your gods could be carried off in battle. How many of you are glad that you have a God that can support you? You don't have to prop him up. You don't have to lie. You don't have to try to make some artificial commitment. I promise you, the more you understand his word, the more you're going to understand how to cooperate in his world. 